Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be surprised that our hymn of the day, you probably felt like it was sometime in November when we have, um, when we have, when we have Reformation Day. You may have thought, maybe, is, is this a typo? No, 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 no. This is the perfect, perfect hymn for today, for our first Sunday in Lent, that it should and does often give us a lot of strength to sing these words that though devils all the world should fill um, though devils all the world should fill all eager to devour us we tremble not we fear no ill they shall not overpower us the world's prince may still scowl fierce as he will he can harm us none he is judged the deed is done, one little word can fell him. There's always been a question about what is that word? Right? What, is, what is the secret word that fells Satan, right? Uh, depending on who you ask, it, it's kind of, kind of an interesting uh, debate and thought. But the generally accepted thought is the one word that will fell Satan is liar, right? He is the father of lies. That when he comes at us to tempt us, the oldest trick that he has and that he still uses to this day is prefacing everything that he has to say with, did God really say? Right? Did God really say that you should not eat of any fruit of the tree? That, that, that you should not eat from any tree? Right? That he uses God's word to twist things. Right? that he uses God's word in a way that is very crafty. And he does it, ironically, on the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. He thinks he can get away with it with the word made flesh. And it's very interesting to read this text from Matthew. Let me put this. I usually have more space in the pulpit, and I was going to use my hymnal, so I need to make more space here. So... It's interesting to read this text from Matthew, because a lot of people might read this and say, isn't this just a silly, silly thing that Satan would think that he can actually tempt Christ, that he could actually make Christ sin through his cleverness and his skill and his lies. Some of us would readily say, oh, well, it's no contest. Of course, Jesus will win as if Jesus didn't struggle at all. We have to remember that. He did struggle. The temptation was a real temptation. We may think, oh, he was no match, that Satan was no match for Christ. But Jesus is the great high priest that we have who is not unable to 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 sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That he did suffer. He was tempted. It says, funny enough, I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
Well, yeah. Wouldn't you be? That is to say that Christ had flesh and blood. He was the Word made flesh. He is the Word made flesh. God incarnate, the God-man. And we can't forget that. That Jesus actually did suffer. He did face temptation and trial. And he wasn't just tempted on one occasion, like here from our gospel text, but during the whole of his human life on earth, with its full range of active and passive temptations at, at each of its stages of life. That he is God and he is man, in the sense that he has two natures combined into the one Christ. You cannot separate the two, right? We don't want to make the mistake that Satan actually makes by thinking that he should act purely in a divine way, right? That he says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Because you know what? God doesn't suffer. God shouldn't have to suffer, right? Or when he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Right? If you are the son of God, act like it. And we shouldn't make the same mistake. Because Christ clearly says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Right? As if to say, you forget, devil, I am also man. You don't understand who I am because only you can think that God should act in a certain way. But I tell you, I'm very different from what you would imagine, right? That's what Christ is saying here. That he does suffer. He faced temptation for our sakes, right? That if we can go even further than this text in Matthew, if he has been tempted as we are in every respect, yet without sin, we can also assume that being divine and human, being divine, he would be able to read, to hear the thoughts of men, as we see that he does with the Pharisees, right? He knows what they are thinking. That Jesus Christ being divine and man at the same time, knows the thoughts. He discerns the hearts of men. And what do you think he saw? Do you think he saw something that was pure? Do you think he saw something that was worthwhile? Being God, Christ would look at every person that he encountered and know their hearts and know that they hated him. He knew, and yet he endured. He knew, and still he suffered for them, for you. So that we know that Christ, having been baptized, which is not an insignificant thing, right? That coming before this text in Matthew chapter 4, his temptation takes place after he is baptized. That he is tried. That he's shot at with the fiery darts of the adversary. Just like we are. That once we are baptized, we have a target on our back 
We have a target on our front. <laughs> no matter what, Satan hates baptized children of God. So, Christ goes through these temptations, not because he wants to flex his spiritual muscles, but because he knows that without him, we are open targets. We are easy prey, right? He goes through these things to give us an example for sure, but to also show how he has overcome Satan for you. So that when we read things like this, we are able to use them in such a way, according to God's grace, for our good, because Christ sets the path that we should walk. That because of our great high priest, Jesus Christ, who has passed through the heavens, let us hold fast to our confession, as the writer of Hebrews states. Let us hold fast to that confession that says Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is God made flesh. He is the one who suffers in my place, and he redeems me not just in soul, but in body as well. He redeems the entirety of me, of you, so that when Satan comes, because he will, if he hasn't already, when Satan comes and says, did God really say that you're a baptized child of God? Did God really say that you should not commit adultery? Did God really say that you should not steal? Did God really say that you should have no other gods before him? You can say, be gone, Satan, for it is written, it is written, the word made flesh says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve that you should not put the Lord your God to the test, that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That we are given these things as a gift to say, don't fall for the wiles of Satan. Don't fall for the question, did God really say? Because Christ sets the path. He tells us exactly the way that we should walk according to his good grace and mercy, right? That Christ is our strength and we only do his will because of the mercy that he shows to us. Again, I keep having to preface this because I think that in our day and age, whenever you start saying, well, Christians should do X, Y, and Z. Christians should act in this way we tend to have the flesh kick. We get this knee-jerk reaction. Oh, I don't know. It sounds pretty legalistic. Right? Well, I don't know. Pastor keeps saying that we should do certain things, but I'm saved by grace through faith. Yeah, that is definitely true. Thanks be to God. You make that good confession. You are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And now that you are saved as a new creature in Christ, no longer dead in your sins and trespasses. Dead things do not do things, but living things live. Think about that. 
You were once dead in your sins and trespasses, and now that you are made alive in Christ, live, do, walk, pray, right? Not perfectly, but according to God's mercy and grace. That's what we're encouraged to do. We are encouraged to go out and live our lives as good brothers and sisters in Christ, as children of God, made good by the one who is good, that is Christ himself. Making a good confession in word and in deed, right? According to God's grace. So that we can resist Satan, right? Because we should understand something. Satan is powerful. He is not someone to be taken lightly at all. He is not someone we should mess around with. He's not someone that we should taunt unnecessarily, right? But he's also someone we should not be terrified by. He's defeated. He works from a place of weakness. He is no match for Christ. He's lost, and he's in denial. He's just working now to get as many souls as he possibly can to come with him to the, to the lake of fire on the last day. So, we should be careful. We should understand that the devil actually means, it's funny, we get three names for Satan in this text. Devil actually means one who slanders, and that is one who slanders God right? He is also called the tempter. And Satan itself means the accuser. He accuses you. He accuses God. He's a liar. Don't listen to him. But he is crafty. So understand that Jesus means what he says when he says we should be as wise as serpents, but as innocent as doves. Don't go into this lightly. You need to be well-equipped for the fight. And during this time of Lent, we exercise that resistance against, against that adversary. It's built in within our season here that we are given the, the good encouragement to fast, to prepare our bodies, right? And fasting can take on different forms. You don't necessarily have to just give up food, although it really does help. I mean, we're seeing more and more the studies that have come out that are proving things right, that fasting for a certain amount of time, not like extreme fast, but fasting for a certain amount of time is actually good for your gut health. It's good to give your digestive system a rest every once in a while. Maybe that's something we need nowadays. Maybe that's something we need because... For a long time, we've feasted sumptuously. We've indulged in a lot of things we probably shouldn't have indulged in. We've turned things that were good, like food, or like leisure. We've taken these things that are good and God-pleasing, and we've twisted them for our own sinful desires. That when we start eating, it's hard to stop. I've had those times, right? We are not, we're not immune to these temptations. 
That when you engage in a sinful act, it's hard to stop, especially when you tell yourself you can stop anytime you want to. Right? You find some justification to just keep on going. So we engage in fasting, giving up certain things, denying our flesh. And as we heard from Ash Wednesday, Jesus said in He said to his disciples, when you fast, you should do these certain things. It's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. And that is to say, and I think we're seeing it more and more, that on some level, we are expected to fast either voluntarily or whether we like it or not. That Nowadays, we're probably going to see a lot of cost increases for groceries and other things. It's going to be more expensive to go out to eat. It already is. My goodness, right? I think Amelia went to the grocery store yesterday and she said, do you realize that ground beef has gone up $3 already? Yeah, it's a lot. It's getting to the point where it's like, okay, well, I guess we got to cut back. I guess we got to be careful. We got to understand what it is that we are spending our money on, being good stewards of these things. That is to say that there's the ancient practice of fasting as an understanding that says you fast today to prepare for the meal that you may not be able to have. So that when hard times come, when temptations come, when you're not able to indulge as much as you would like, you already have the strength. You already have the ability, the wherewithal, the discipline to say, that's okay. I'm not going to worry about it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Right? That we do these things, we discipline our bodies in such a way because it actually affects our spiritual practice. Think about it. It actually affects your spiritual practice. That when we read in the small catechism that it's the questions and answers at the back, right? That says, um, how should one prepare for Holy Communion? And Luther says... Fasting and bodily preparation are good outward training, right? But faith is required in the words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins, right? Faith is paramount, yet we're still encouraged to engage in fasting and bodily preparation. There's no law that says you must do it one way or the other, but there is freedom in how you do these things. And if you want an idea of what bodily preparation is, okay, think of it like, um, you know, And this is probably going to rub people the wrong way. And I apologize if it does. But bodily preparation might include, you know, dressing up a little bit on Sunday to go to church. We're not asking that you come in tucks and tails. But, you know, to dress a little bit nicer than you would for most of the other week, right? It's bodily preparation. It'd be different if you were in the pews in shorts and flip-flops, right? You might be feeling a little bit differently than you would in, you know, in your... uh, Sunday best, right? It's good bodily training to get you in the right mind of what exactly is taking place in hearing the word of God and being given 
his body and blood. Now, I can go on and on and on and on and on about bodily preparation and fasting, but there's Christian freedom in these things. I mentioned on Wednesday that, you know, typically we might spend too much time in front of the TV, right? We might spend a little bit too much time doing other things that would keep us from engaging in God's word. And if we're to understand how Satan works, that he works by twisting God's word, we need to know the word. We need to be in the word daily, really. Daily is how often we need to be in the word. And if you want to start somewhere, right? Because reading God's word, engaging in God's word, I'd I'd actually add, read it out loud every single day. Read it out loud. Don't just keep it here, stuffed away in your mind, but actually act it out. Give it life. Breathe it out. Say the word of God. Hear it. Hear yourself say it. It makes a difference. It really does. It makes a difference. That when you do this daily, you're prepared. You're ready. Not because you are strengthened in of yourself. Not because you do so many push-ups or squats in a day and you say, I'm ready to fight Satan today. No, you're ready because God has equipped you. God has given you his word. He gives you the tools. It is a gift when he gives you at least these three things that Christ has said. That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. This is not about trying to bench 400 pounds in one go when you've never done it before in your life. This is not about trying to run a marathon or even a 5K when you can't even walk around the block. This is about just walking around the block, right? This is about just doing one push-up at a time, right? This is about just taking it one step at a time, building it up, letting the word dwell within you richly, allowing God to give you the means by which you can resist temptation so that you can not only speak against Satan, but you can speak against your own sinful flesh. That when, when you think about indulging in maybe too much food, too much TV, right? Too much leisure when you could be doing something more productive or even just reading your Bible, you should say to yourself, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I think it's time to open my Bible, right? Or, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Or you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve, not your belly. Not your own sinful desires, right? But sometimes we need to be spoken against ourselves on these things. Again, this is not to say that this is how you earn your salvation. But because you are saved by Christ alone, because you have been given that faith as a gift from the Holy Spirit to trust in Christ, now you can. Now you can speak the word with faith and full assurance that God will protect you, that the devil will flee from you because he hates God's word. That you can come here to this place 
and you can hear his word and be given his true body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins so that you would be strengthened in that fight, so that you would know that now the word of God, the body and blood of Christ now dwells, now dwells and lives through you richly, that you are strengthened by God's grace, that you are able to learn the word of God by heart, which if you want a nice, a nice exercise, a nice discipline for this week, maybe even for Lent, take your bulletin home and memorize, if you don't like that word, learn by heart the passages that Christ uses in this text to fight against Satan and your flesh, right? Use the word of God as your sword and your shield against temptation so that you would remember that your strength does not come from you. It comes from God. It comes from Christ and his blood shed for you. Remember that you are, that you are, that you are, remember that you are, that you are forgiven and you live according to this truth, according to God's grace. So that as you go from here, as you go throughout this season of Lent, you would not focus only on the temptations that are coming your way, but you would focus on the promises of God. If I can leave you with one last picture of how you can see this, when you're skiing, you know, I haven't skied in a long time, but I heard about this. When you're skiing, right, when you're downhill skiing, they tell you, don't say to yourself, don't say to yourself, don't hit the trees, don't hit the trees, don't hit the trees, don't hit the trees, because eventually all you're going to see are trees, right? What you should tell yourself is stay on the path, stay on the path, stay on the path. Because if you're only looking at the temptations, all you see are temptations around you. They're there. You don't necessarily have to go looking for them. But just remember, stay on the path. Stay on the way, stay on the truth, stay on the life who is Christ, and he will sustain you. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.